0: From iHeartMedia, this is Missing in Alaska, the story of two congressmen who vanished in 1972, and my quest to figure out what happened to them. I'm your host, John Walczak. In 1995, after Chris Scholl, the Dateline NBC producer, heard Jerry Paisley's claim that the plane carrying the missing congressman may have been bombed in 1972, he hired a private investigator in Arizona named Robert Annenberg to assist him with his investigation. Annenberg was a veteran who served in both the Air Force and Army. In the Air Force, he worked in the Office of Special Investigations. In the Army, he was an intelligence officer. So, basically, a smart, disciplined, experienced guy. On August 21st, 1995, Annenberg penned a five-page memo detailing his findings. He sent it to Scholl. I want to be clear. Scholl, who's now an executive at NBC News, did not provide this report to me directly. I got it from another source. It makes for a fascinating read. Here it is, voiced verbatim by Mike Smith of New Orleans.
1: Jerry Max Paisley, A Criminal History 1. The following information was derived from the case file CR 48024, interviews with the defendant, news reports, and my own investigation, February 22, 1995, to date. 2. In 1962, Jerry Max Paisley was discharged from the U.S. Navy and returned to Detroit, where he became associated with the Pete Licavoli crime family. Licavoli operated one of the biggest policy houses, numbers, operations, in the South Michigan-Northern Ohio region. Licavoli also had properties and business enterprises in Arizona, and Paisley fluctuated between Detroit and Tucson, conducting strong-arm and extortion activities, and doing gun-running between Tucson and Detroit. Three. In 1964, Licavoli introduced Paisley to the Joe Bonanno, Joe Bananas crime operation in Tucson. A new criminal enterprise had been formed, Tucson Vending Machine, Inc., fronted by Sal Spinelli and operated by Charles Battaglia, Charlie Betts, a Bonanno lieutenant. Working for Tucson Vending Machines, Paisley used strong arm and intimidation to get vending machine locations in various establishments. If the establishment said no, he and his associates would tear the place up or blow it up. One of the places he blew up was Paulo Z's Restaurant and Lounge on Speedway. Because of Paisley's good work for the Bonanno organization, he met Joe Bonanno, Jr., and they became good friends. 4. By 1966-67, Paisley's extortion activities had netted him control of several bars in Tucson and his bombing activities continued. He blew up J.P.'s bar on South Craycroft. Also in this time frame, he was introduced to Louis Marconi, a South Tucson policeman. He was introduced by Roy Rico, a low-level Detroit mobster. Marconi said he could be a source of good quality liquor at cheap prices. This would be a valuable benefit to the bars that had been taken over. Paisley and Marconi were to form a criminal alliance that lasted many years. Paisley was told by Marconi that he had been doing some on-duty burglaries with Ernie Mejia and Tom Vera, also South Tucson policemen. Paisley and Marconi did some burglaries together trafficked in narcotics, and ripped off a number of individuals. They ripped off Ken Humor, and it was to cost him his life. Paisley and Marconi were both involved in the murder of drug dealer Charlie Newell, and that incident is the matter presently before the court, C.R. 48024. They also pulled off the armed robbery of the posh jewelry store. Although long separated from police duties now, Marconi maintains inside connections with the Tucson police. Ernie Mejia, active service. Dick Navarro, retired. 5. Paisley's activities came to the attention of the FBI, and after a long vetting period, he was finally recruited as a paid informant for a salary of $200 per month. His recruiter and handler was Special Agent David Hale. Strangely enough, under S.A. Hale's direction, his extortion and bombing activities did not decrease. They intensified with higher-profile targets. He bombed Judge Evo Concini's house and the Whig Beauty Salon with S.A. Hale's approval. Joe Bonanno's patio wall got blown up and Licavoli's ranch got bombed, but not by Paisley. It appeared S.A. Hale was trying to incite a gang war, between Liccavoli and Bonanno. He gave Paisley $10,000 to do a hit on Joe Bonanno himself, but for some reason Hale called it off. When Paisley started working for S.A. Hale, he believed his activities were being sanctioned by the FBI. Now he thought otherwise, believing Hale was some kind of renegade nut. Paisley called Wes Malden, an Arizona DPS agent, and told him what had been going on. An investigation ensued. A grand jury was convened against S.A. Hale, but was torpedoed, presumably by the FBI. Hale was allowed to resign and left the state. Much of this fiasco got into the media, 1969 and 70, but most was covered up. Paisley's identity was never revealed. So after going on ice in Las Vegas for two years, he returned to Tucson and began anew his work for the crime families. 6. In late August or September 1972, Joe Iaterola, Joey the I, a Bonanno lieutenant, said he wanted an unregistered room for someone who was coming into Tucson from out of town. No check-in, no name. Paisley got the room, and the next day they drove to the airport, where they picked up a woman. Joey introduced her as Margaret. That night, Paisley was instructed to bring Margaret to the Contiki restaurant for dinner. Meeting them there was Joe Bonanno. The three of them had dinner, and nothing important was discussed, just small talk. Then Joey gave Paisley the high sign. The two of them went to the bar and left Margaret and Bonanno alone together. Those two talked for about a half an hour. Joey and Bonanno left, and Paisley left with Margaret. They hit a couple nightclubs and then returned to the motel, where they have sex. The next day, both Paisley and Joey saw Margaret off at the airport. Paisley tried to get some information about Margaret, but Joey said nothing. He never found out her full name. Two weeks later, Joey asked Paisley to take a trip for the organization. He was to go to Anchorage, Alaska. He was instructed to bring a suit bag for carry-on baggage, but not a suitcase. Two days later, Joey picked up Paisley in a different car to drive him to the airport. At the airport, Joey gave Paisley a bag and told him not to carry it on the aircraft. He was to check it through baggage. Paisley flew to Anchorage and was met at the airport by Gene Fowler, accompanied by a stranger who was introduced as Danny. He was taken by them to an apartment, which was apparently not the residence of either of the men, and Paisley gave them the bag he had gotten from Joey. That night, Paisley met Fowler's brother Larry, and they went out on the town. Larry hinted about the bomb Paisley had brought from Tucson and asked him if he had made it. Paisley replied he doesn't make bombs, he just uses them. During the course of the evening, Larry said the pipeline is coming to Alaska and the state is going wild. Larry revealed they were getting ready to make a big move, but he did not say what it was. 8. The next day, Paisley returned to Tucson. A few weeks later, on October 16, 1972, a light aircraft carrying two U.S. congressmen, Hale Boggs, Louisiana, and Nick Begich, Alaska, was reported missing on a flight between Anchorage and Juneau. No trace of the aircraft was ever found. 9. Margaret Begich, widow of Congressman Nick Begich, ran for the congressional seat vacated by the death of her husband. She was defeated. 10. In 1973, Paisley was lured to Alaska by the construction of the Alaskan pipeline and the furious gold rush atmosphere it had created. In Anchorage, Larry Fowler introduced him to the local gambling gangsters, and he went to work for Harry Cardanoff, who ran a gambling operation. While working one day, he ran into a woman who looked familiar. They start talking, and he realized it was the Margaret he had met in Tucson through Joey the Eye. They renewed their relationship, and he learned she was Margaret Begich, widow of the congressman, and she had lots of money. She began to lavish some of her wealth on Paisley. He liked all of that, and by 1974 they decided to marry. They married in Tucson at the El Dorado, and it's a fancy affair attended by Pete Licavoli, Louis Marconi. Sal Spinelli, R.T. Smith, Charlie Cuccio, Ari Walsh, and several undercover cops who were there monitoring the activities of the mob. The Paisleys honeymooned at Mazatlan, and Margaret, who has lots of insurance money, continues to bestow on Paisley the proceeds of her wealth, new Cadillac, new Jaguar XKE, and jewelry. She also bought him a nightclub called the Green Dragon, $130,000, for $130,000 but insisted he take in a partner Danny Zivinich. Danny was with Fowler when he brought the bomb from Tucson the three of them formed a corporation Max Inc with Margaret as president Danny as VP and Paisley as secretary treasurer they did business with the First National Bank of Anchorage and People's Bank of Alaska Margaret and Paisley bought a new $200,000 home and Paisley took junkets to Acapulco, Honolulu, Las Vegas, and other place spots whenever he felt the urge. It was a nice life living off Margaret's money. 11. Paisley and Danny had Margaret put up her apartment building as collateral for a $160,000 loan so they can remodel the Green Dragon. They fix it up and rename it the Alaska Mining Company. Their working together got them closer. One day on a fishing trip, the two of them were drinking. Paisley asked Danny why Margaret wanted him as a partner. Danny replied that it was because he blew her old man out of the sky, that he and Margaret had been friends for a long time. She was paying him back for services rendered. 12. By late 1994, Paisley was 53 and was serving several prison sentences. Exceeding 100 years for murder and other crimes unrelated to the incidents mentioned above, he made a decision to wipe the slate clean by facing up to all the things he had done in his life. He began exposing every one of them. There was no attempt to get a deal, nor was this a religious transformation that had taken place. It was an effort to get a measure of atonement by letting it all hang out once and for all. Paisley is not proud of his life, but he accepts what has become of it as a natural and inevitable outcome of the lifestyle he chose for himself. He never had to get up early in the morning for a regular job, never had to carry a lunchbox or punch a time clock. The life of a wise guy was exciting and glamorous, and he had a lot of pretty girls, took some nice trips, had a lot of dope. But with that lifestyle comes risks. He assumed those risks, but eventually his luck ran out. He has resigned himself to spending the rest of his life in prison. 13. So in late 1994, he reported the murders of the congressman to an Arizona DPS agent and the Anchorage police. At the same time, he reported killing three other persons in Alaska, Art Sutherland, Greg Overton, and a black man whose name he never learned. He also reported to DPS his participation in a murder in Tucson in 1977, during which his partner, Louis Marconi, pulled the trigger, instant case CR 48024. Additionally, he reported the 1968 armed robbery of the Posh jewelry store, data which included Marconi's setting up of the heist, as well as the names of all the other participants, including the fence. He also blew the whistle on two dirty cops with the Tucson police, one retired but one still on active service. 14. Paisley's reports on the above have been met with a wall of silence. DPS turned over the data on the murdered congressman to the FBI. The FBI did nothing, indicating the case was closed. The aircraft had gone down because of bad weather, and the pilot's company had been sued for negligence in a civil action. The murders of the other men in Alaska were not pursued by the police in Alaska because of Paisley's status, already serving sentences over a hundred years, and the Tucson police have done nothing on the armed robbery and dirty cops information for reasons that could be corruption at a high level. 15. No one has indicated that Paisley is a liar, a screwball, or has an axe to grind. DPS agent Wes Malden, now retired, who exposed renegade FBI agent David Hale through Paisley's efforts, has described Paisley as a reliable and accurate source of information when he worked with him. Moreover, during recent contacts with law enforcement officials, no one has yet to produce any evidence of fabrication on Paisley's part. Robert Annenberg, Tucson, Arizona August 21st, 1995.
0: You can reach us by phone at 1-833-MIA-TIPS. That's 1-833-642-8477. Again, 1-833-642-8477. Or you can reach us via email at tips at iheartmedia.com. That's tips T-I-P-S at iHeartMedia.com. An important note, none of the people Paisley claimed took part in or had knowledge of the alleged bombing, Joe Bonanno, Joe Iatirola, Danny Zivinich, Gene Fowler, Larry Fowler, or Peggy Begich, whose first name is actually Margaret, were ever charged with or convicted of crimes tied to any of Paisley's allegations. Louis Marconi, named by Paisley as an alleged accomplice in, and or perpetrator of, certain crimes, was also never charged with or convicted of any crimes based on Paisley's allegations. Ben Bolin is our executive producer. Paul Deccant is our supervising producer. Chris Brown is our assistant producer. Seth Nicholas Johnson is our producer. Sam Teagarden is our research assistant. And I'm your host and executive producer, John Walczak. You can find me on Twitter at at JohnWalczak, J-O-N-W-A-L-C-Z-A-K. Special thanks to Mike Smith of New Orleans, who voiced the report. Missing in Alaska is a co-production of iHeartMedia and Greenfort Media.